Welcome to the Fantasy NBA Today podcast. I feel like I wanted to start this podcast by like doing a getting Lawrence Tanter to Tanner? Tanner? Maybe there's another T in there. To do the introduction for the Los Angeles Lakers. I can't do that voice. That voice is too deep. I can't get there. Today is Lakers Day, though, on the podcast. We are within one, two, three, four teams of getting through the entire list, season review stuff. Free agency tomorrow, one day away. Wowie, zowie. The rumors are flying fast and furious. We actually did have something happen uh, over the last 24 hours also. So we'll get into that. We'll get into the Lakers. All that coming up here in just a moment on Fantasy NBA. Today, a sports ethos presentation. I'm your host, Dan Bespris. Thanks, as always, for tuning in here, spending some of your off-season with us on the podcast, which I know we're in true degenerate zone this time of year. But I think some of you will probably pop back in to hear the free agency takes. And there's going to be quite a few of them. A host of free agency takes are right around the corner. But let's do the news first. We'll knock that stuff out of the way, and then we'll dive into the Lakers. News of the last 24 hours. Nikola Vucevic signing a three-year, $60 million extension with the Chicago Bulls, which feels relatively fair. I know the market is pretty different now than it was before we all knew what this next CBA was going to hold. But 20 mil for a solid center is not insane when you think about like think back to when the salary cap was jumping and freaking Timofey Moskov was getting 16 million dollars a year and everybody was just throwing money at everything so there's this this backlash now where people are like oh my god 20 million dollars with the new CBA yeah but at the same time Vooch has been really good very durable very reliable for a long time now he averaged 18 points 11 boards Three assists, he can space the floor a little bit. 52 from the field, 84 at the foul line. There's a lot to like about Vooch. Now, as far as, you know, how does Chicago look? They're a middling team in every respect. They were a better than middling team when Lonzo Ball was healthy, but the report came out a couple weeks ago that they're not even expecting him to play this next year, so he would miss at least two full consecutive seasons, and who knows if he even plays again. Bulls were 40 and 42 this year, and they were really 40 and 42. It wasn't like you could point to something and say, well, what if that went differently? Nah, that's just who they were, you know? And they were largely healthy. Vooch played in, I think, every game. DeMar missed like six, seven, something like that, seven or eight, six to eight games. Levine only missed four or five. Patrick Williams played in, I think, every ball game. Io Dasunmu played in every ball game. Alex Caruso missed a handful with stuff, but it's not like him playing in 10 additional games was going to change their season all that much. This is just who they are. They are a middling team. They're a middling offense and a middling defense, and sometimes the pieces come together, and sometimes they fall apart at the seams. They very nearly knocked off or won both of the uh, play-in stuff, and then the Heat went on, had a big comeback, and then, of course, made their run to the finals. So I guess to that end, if you're Chicago, you'd be like, well, Miami did it. Why not us? 
Well, first of all, Miami was a not insignificant four games better than the Bulls during the regular season. So, I mean, they were a better team anyway. They were also hit harder by injury and inconsistency. And I don't think that that, like, maybe the Bulls individually as players can look around and say, oh, yeah, we can make a run. But, like, the management, the rest of us, we, we, we see this team. These, we see the reality of it. And the reality of it is, by signing, by re-signing Vooch, they give themselves a, a solid big man that they can, I don't want to say build around necessarily, but like if they decided they wanted to continue to try hard to compete, that would be a possibility. Like if Lonzo somehow does come back late this season or next season or something like that. I, you know, their young guys are troublesome. The other side of this, though, is that the Bulls are really like two years away from being able to go full blow-up mode. DeMar DeRozan's on an expiring deal, so maybe you see him moved this year. But Lonzo's going to opt in to a $21 million contract next season. It doesn't matter what his health situation is, but assuming it remains as bad as it has been, you're going to take the free 20, 21 mil if your career is ending. Vooch is now on the books. Levine is on the books for a while next and you know we're, we're really specifically looking at next year and between those three guys Levine, Lonzo and Vooch the Bulls will already be at about 85 million dollars so they'll have a little bit of wiggle room next year but not a ton and then Lonzo would come off the books and then all of a sudden you're down to like having two guys under contract Caruso next year he's off the books uh oh you know what this thing got turned around a little bit in my brain um I should say this coming season right uh, so you got Lonzo this year and then next year. Yeah, okay, that was right. I got that right. So Caruso this year and next year. Patrick Williams this year and probably next year because he's a restricted free agent. Kobe White, uh, I believe, is a restricted free agent if they tender him a qualifying offer. So it's not so much this year and not even really a ton next year, but then after that, things do clear out a little bit. But you could get into next season, and you could go blow-up mode partway through. You could trade a Lonzo contract. You could probably move a Vooch contract with two years on it. You could probably move Caruso this year or next year. He's a pretty reasonable deal and one of the best defenders in the NBA. But as far as this coming season goes, unless the Bulls move DeMar DeRozan early in the season, they're going to be just a middling team probably all year. And maybe they move DeMar near the trade deadline. But there was really no impetus to just let Vooch walk. Because if they're sort of stuck being decent, half-decent, I should say, this year, you might as well just be fully half-decent. Because really, if you're the team that's fighting for a play-in spot, losing Vooch isn't going to drop them into tank mode. They wouldn't be all the way at the bottom to get that great draft pick. They couldn't really get to the bottom... Unless DeMar was gone and Vooch was gone. And frankly, I think Levine and the rest of these guys would probably be pushing towards the bottom. But that would have been hard to do. Maybe you move DeMar before the year? I don't know. Uh, like, I'm not all that upset about the Vooch contract. It's six years, it, or it's three years, 60 mil. That's not that insane uh, when you think about what guys were getting before this. But I get it. It's just makes this sort of weird Bulls purgatory seem even more permanent. But at least from a fantasy standpoint, we know what to expect. 
Just assume next year is going to be pretty much the damn same as this year. If you liked Vooch this season, which you should have because he played in every ball game and he was a basically a, a late second, early third per game guy, and by totals that pushed him up into the stratosphere. Vooch was a first rounder by totals this year, guys. He was number five because of durability and solid performance. And he's just never going to go all that healthy because he's not super exciting. But we'll take him. And we'll take DeMar because he's not super exciting, but he gets it done. Levine, for whatever reason, does get drafted a little bit earlier. Unclear why, actually, because the difference between Levine and DeMar is that Levine hits two three-pointers that DeMar doesn't. And Rosen is a better impact field goal and free throw guy. That's basically where things catch for those dudes. I guess DeMar's defensive stats are a little bit better as well. I should throw that in there. So that was one piece of news over the last 24 hours. Eric Gordon was not, his option was not picked up by the Clippers, so he's a free agent, but nobody cares. Jordan Clarkson did exercise his player option. He's sort of seeing the writing on the wall that, that players of his ilk aren't going to make a ton of money, uh, in at least in this first year of the new CBA, when a bunch of teams are, are sort of trying to retool a little bit. So he'll take the cash that was on the table, he'll come back to Utah, and he'll chew up a whole bunch of shots, which, you know, we talked about the John Collins deal. My hope was obviously that some of the Chuckers on the Jazz would not be back. That would help John Collins, but Chuckers are back, it would seem. Folks, picture this nightmare scenario. You're hosting friends for the big game. It's neck and neck in the fourth quarter, and suddenly you realize you're out of drinks. Ooh, say all of your friends. You start to sweat. Your friends turn on you. You're forced to go on a last-second drink run and end up missing the game-winning touchdown while in line. Oh, no. Terrifying, isn't it? Luckily, you can avoid the drama with Drizzly, the go-to app for drink delivery. With Drizzly, you can shop a huge selection of beer, wine, and spirits, then get them delivered right to your watch party. Compare prices across multiple stores in your area, find the best deals on game day drinks, and get back to armchair quarterbacking from, you guessed it, your armchair. Download the Drizzly app or go to drizzly.com. That's D-R-I-Z-L-Y.com today. Must be 21 plus, not available in all locations. Anywho, so that's the last. That's the uh, news of the last couple of days, or I guess it's the last 26, 27 hours, something like that. Doesn't matter. Let's get into Lakers. But first, a reminder, the NFL Draft Guide is available now at sportsethos.com. I would tell you guys once again, I know you're thinking about it. Many of you that listen to this podcast get the NBA Fantasy Pass season over season. That's $6 per month with a six-month lock once draft season starts. I would tell you all, get the all-sport Fantasy Pass right before basketball stuff drops. That's the move, which is really like the next couple of weeks. Because once NBA Draft Guide stuff drops, the all-sport fantasy pass goes from 7 up to $10 a month. Right now, you can lock in the $7 price on the all-sport for eternity. As long as you leave it going, you keep the $7 rate. 
if there's no way in any of the multiverses <laughs> that you would ever use anything besides NBA, fine. You can get the NBA Fantasy Pass for six bucks, whenever. But if there's a universe, any one of them, where you even want to dabble in football or baseball, it's one extra dollar a month, but you got to do it soon. Don't wait until September or October, because by then it'll be 10 bucks a month, and you won't want to get it anymore. Just get it a tiny bit sooner. It'll save you that much and more over the course of a year, because again, $3 a month is the savings. You can do the math on 12 months. That's always like five extra months there. Okay, now the Lakers. So, the Lakers are interesting in a number of respects because we don't exactly know what way they're going to go with their roster right now beyond the fact that LeBron and Anthony Davis are going to make $87 million between the two of them. The Lakers had a uh, true host of players come off the books over the la- over this offseason, which has kind of been the case for them for a while because they've been so hamstrung and they and the Russell Westbrook deal made it so that they basically just had to sign a ton of dudes to like one year or two year deals. And so there's just no consistency there. So Troy Brown, free agent, Wenyan Gabriel, free agent, Austin Reeves, restricted free agent, D'Lo, free agent, Schroeder, free agent, Lonnie Walker, free agent, Tristan Thompson, who actually did get to play a little bit in the playoffs, free agent. Mo Bamba has an unguaranteed or a non-guaranteed deal. We'll find out by, I believe, later today whether or not the Lakers are going to guarantee that money. Uh, Malik Beasley has a team option that has not yet been locked in. Shaq Harrison, I believe, has a team option if the Lakers want to bring him back as, you know, defensive specialist guard. And then they got some young guys. Rui Hachimura, who's a restricted free agent as well. He and, uh, although I, I think there's something a little bit different between him and Austin Reeves, not super different. Either way, the Lakers will probably bring those guys back. And then Jared Vanderbilt, who did have his salary guaranteed for this coming year because he was really good for them. So among the core guys and... Now, this is something that's been getting talked about a lot um, on across national media, is what are the Lakers going to do with specifically D'Angelo Russell? Because we know they want to bring back Austin Reeves, and they can match any offer on him. Same story with Rui Hachimura. What do they do about D'Lo? And we know they'd like to bring Schroeder back as well, because he provided kind of an interesting compliment. But there just isn't a whole lot of cash to work with. Lakers are within, like, 20 mil of the salary cap. Uh, but, you know, depending on different machinations and who they sign first, they can go over to different degrees because guys are are already on the roster. So they've got sort of that bird right kind of stuff. But again, we're not going to get too deep into the, the, the gear turning of the salary cap. The main thing we need to worry about when we analyze the Lakers is, is there anyone else on this team... That can hold consistent fantasy value besides Anthony Davis and LeBron James? And the answer is sort of a soft yes. First of all, we'll go ahead and operate under the assumption that Austin Reeves is back with the Lakers. 
He played pretty heavy minutes down the stretch this year. But a lot of that was when D'Lo was sitting, when LeBron was sitting, and then he got an even larger bump once the games went to the postseason. I like a lot of things about Austin Reeves. One of the things I don't like is that he doesn't really get defensive stats. He's working really hard on the defensive side of the ball, but the defensive stats just don't come. What I do like about Austin is that he's a percentages powerhouse, very good foul shooter, and fairly gifted at getting to the free throw line, good field goal percent guy who can also hit a three-pointer from time to time, but again, held back by the extremely low steals and blocks numbers. That's why even while he was averaging 17-3-5 and five, with a three and a half, 1.53s, 56 and 85 splits, and this is, again, this is over the final two months this year, that still put him outside the top 100 because of .7 combined defensive stats. That number crushed him. And that's not to say that it can't change, but it wasn't like there was a time of year where it was magically better or worse than any other time of year. He's he's a hustler on defense. Not that he's like hustling people, but he plays really hard, but the defensive stats just aren't there. And so I can't help but wonder if Reeves does actually get a tiny bit overdrafted this coming season because there's been, for good reason, the, the jump he's taken has been incredible, but a lot of hype around him. I love it. He's super fun to watch, easy to root for, as like a, a true underdog story. But fantasy-wise, it's one of those situations where it doesn't really make logical sense. You're not worried about most of those other dudes on the fringes. The guy, the other guy on this team that you look at and you're thinking, could this dude have fantasy value is D'Angelo Russell, whose value is going to be tied to sort of confidence streaks and things of that nature. And it does seem more and more like the Lakers do want to bring him back. He was very good for them during the regular season. Played 17 games in L.A., 31 minutes a night, 17 points, three boards, six assists. Steals were among the lowest, actually, that he'd put up in his career, but I think some of that you could chalk up to the limited sample size because throughout his entire NBA career, he's been about 30 minutes a game at 1.1 steals, and with L.A., he was at .6. But he was also at 48% shooting with Los Angeles, and that's a number that he really hasn't gotten anywhere near at any other spot. And maybe you could say... Was some of that related to playing alongside two megastars? I I don't know. It also felt a little bit fluky. Same thing with the 74% foul shooting. He's been 79 for his career, and he was at 86, actually, earlier this last season in Minnesota. So there was a little bit of a fluky thing going on in his 17 games. He was banged up for a few of them. He played through some stuff. He was kind of on and off the court. I think you can assume that if D'Lo comes back to Los Angeles, his per-minute production probably fairly well parallels what he was doing in Minnesota pre-trade. And again, I don't know if he gets to 46.5% from the field, but 2.73s, very repeatable for him. Low to mid-80s free throw, seemingly pretty repeatable. 
17 to 18 points, six assists, that kind of thing. Probably more like a steal instead of .6. His time in L.A., D'Lo was ranked outside the top 100 in fantasy, mostly because the free throws were unseasonably low and the steals were unseasonably low. But again, if it, like if you look at the aggregate on that, over the season, he was number 82, which feels, in my eyes, very repeatable. Like D'Lo, probably between 60 and 90. Which, my guess is where he probably gets drafted. I don't think we're in the era now where D'Angelo Russell is going to get drafted higher than 60. He feels like a guy you could take at 65 or 70. And you're like, okay, well, worst case scenario, he's like around, around and a half lower per game. But maybe that's turnover related. Maybe he's just a little worse at the foul line than I expected. It's not going to be one of those things where he blows a hole in your fantasy team. And you probably don't have to use a pick on him until the 6th, or maybe even you get lucky in 7th round. It's not a base hit. I know I've done this baseball metaphor thing before. A base hit, as I've described on this podcast, is more like you take somebody and you feel pretty confident that they're going to be about a round of value better than where you took them. D'Angelo Russell is... There's no real. There's no baseball metaphor for what that is, for taking a guy who you just feel like is almost guaranteed to be right at their ADP. That's not a win. It's not a loss. No games really... It's like a soccer match that ends in a draw. Nobody really goes home all that happy, but nobody goes home all that pissed. I guess maybe if you were favored to win. There isn't a good sports analogy to drafting a player at their expected final value. Because we're always hunting for upside. We're always hunting for it. The reason you would take D'Lo at pick 65 or 70 is if you were short on guard stats and you're just like, okay, you know what? Like, this is not going to blow the roof off the building. This is also not going to kill my team. I just need something safe here. He's probably going to play 70 games or more. He's been relatively durable after being a bit dinged up early in his career. The maturity stuff is mostly behind him. Anyway, so, yeah, probably drafted around his number. I I know I keep going back to Reeves. I can't... I have no idea where Austin Reeves is going to get drafted next year because he's going to be back in L.A. and he's going to have a much bigger role like we saw in the playoffs. Is there any erosion when the the, what seems like the, the meaning of each game is not quite as intense? He turned his game up in bigger moments, and the middle of the regular season is sort of the opposite of a big moment. That's the that's the dog days. That's the letdown time. I'm a little worried that Reeves doesn't go 52-87 in his splits. Maybe it's more like 49-84. He's going to have a really tough time being a top 100 per game guy if the percentages are not carrying his stuff. I do love him, though. I mean, so many people are going to want to just have Austin Reeves, which makes me, again, think he's going to get overdrafted. But what about the superstars on the Lakers? Because to me... I don't think anybody else on this team even sniffs fantasy value. Jared Vanderbilt, he'll have games here and there where he's useful, so you might be able to spot play him, like maybe a day where Anthony Davis is out or LeBron is out or something like that. It'll depend a little bit on who the backup center is for L.A. this season. Will it be, will they bring Bamba back? Will they try to get somebody cheaper? We'll we'll see on that one. But, you know, Beasley, no. They They might not even guarantee his money. If Schroeder's back, no. And then the rest of these guys aren't even on the roster anymore. 
So what about the superstars? And they are that. LeBron James, nobody's ever argued whether he's a superstar or not. Anthony Davis is a superstar. In my mind, a superstar is a player that can impact a game in a way that I would say fewer than three other guys in the world can. And the Lakers, I mean, that that guy on L.A. right now is A.D. Even more so than LeBron, I think. LeBron's starting to get a little older. Free throws are getting better for him as he ages. But defensive stats have been trending down. Field goal percent he struggled with, particularly from downtown this year. Maybe that bounces back for Braun. I don't hard to say. Like he could actually have a bounce back year. This last season, Anthony Davis was number four on a per game basis. LeBron was number twenty-two. They each basically missed a third of the season, which is rough. It obviously played a large role in why LA had to fight so hard just to get into the play in situation. But it's also hard to see them just magically being healthier. LeBron is getting older, like real old. AD's been injury-prone pretty much from day one. When things are on the line, he'll play through stuff a little bit more. But again, as he ages, they can't even do that as much as they used to. I think LA values home court maybe a little more than what they got this past season. But at the same time, that's not a team that's going to be going completely all out to secure home court throughout the playoffs. Would they have enjoyed having it against the Nuggets? I mean, did it matter? I think there's a belief, and I don't actually know if it's right or wrong, around the Lakers, that if they kind of run it back and have a whole regular season to develop an offense that then they would be able to compete for a title. And I've thought about that. I've thought about it in the shower. I've thought about it while just like driving home from dropping a kid off in the car in silence. Would the Lakers, can the Lakers compete for a title as the team is basically currently constructed? Let's say they do bring back D'Lo and they match whatever offers on Reeves and Rui Hachimura. And I don't know what they do beyond that. Like, I don't know if they can get Schroeder to come back. And they'll they'll fill around the edges there. But it's basically a starting lineup of D'Lo, Reeves, Braun, AD, and then either they play a five and move everybody down a slot, or they find a, a wing type and slot him in around those dudes. Will it be Vanderbilt? Will it be, like, will they bring back someone like a Troy Brown We've heard them link to Bruce Brown Jr., who would kind of be an interesting blend with these dudes. Ah. I like Bruce Brown. I don't know if he's the right fit with what that team actually ended up needing, which was a little bit more firepower, believe it or not. Lakers offensively were pretty bad in the playoffs. They kept up because AD's amazing and the uh, Reeves, LeBron or Reeves AD or LeBron AD, that that trio of pick and roll options was getting them pretty good looks, but they could have been a lot better on offense. And some of it had to do with guys just being able to hit a damn shot. Lakers went games without anybody being able to hit a bucket. Is Bruce Brown that guy? 
that can go hit a bucket? Not really. I don't even know who the hell is floating around out there. I guess Dante DiVincenzo just popped up because he turned down his deal. Anyway, they're not particularly deep yet. The Lakers will they'll find a way to get some other bodies in there because they're going to need to give their, their big dude some rest during the regular season. But could that compete? I think the answer is yes. And I know we all look back at the sweep in the playoffs and say, well, the Nuggets just whomped them. But every one of those games was decided by who made a couple of key plays at the end of the ballgame. Almost every single moment. Lakers were down a bunch in game one. They came all the way back to get it within three. Nuggets hit a couple big shots. Game three, I think, in L.A., that was the when the Lakers were right there with them, kind of trading who was leading, and then Jokic hit that crazy buzzer-beating, fade-away, one-handed, over-the-head three-pointer, and Jamal Murray hit a couple of buzzer-beaters. What if the Lakers just had a little more chemistry, a little more time, a little more opportunity to get D'Lo in the right spots? Could that series have gone a different way? I don't know. I still don't know that the Lakers... I don't know that there's anything the Lakers could do right now that puts them in a better position to beat the Nuggets in a close ball game, and that's pretty much what you have to be looking at right now. The Nuggets won close ball games because they had the best shot makers on the floor. Both of them. LeBron's not that guy. He can take it to the rim, and he tried at the end, but the Nuggets played pretty good defense on him there. AD, maybe. Like, could you get him a, a mid-range? Could you get D'Lo a mid-range? I guess. I'd rather have both of those Nuggets dudes. And there's nobody floating around on the free agent pile that's a end-of-game shot maker that's going to change that. So it feels like get a little more offense, get some floor spacing, and maybe you can open up a tiny lead on a good team before the last two seconds. I don't know. We'll see. I mean, Bruce Brown is awesome. He'll fit no matter where you put him. But from a fantasy standpoint, what do you expect out of AD and LeBron? Anthony Davis feels like uh, you know the first-round per-game stuff is pretty well locked in when he's upright, but are you drafting him in the middle of the first round, knowing he's probably going to miss 20 ball games or more? Man, that's a hard pill to swallow. And after hitting his free throws the first four months of the season, that went down the tubes late in the year also. What about Braun, who I foolishly thought was set to have a really nice season? He very much did not. Braun had a rough year, and... If the three-point percentage comes back a little bit for him, then maybe that's a way to buffer against any more slowdown. I pretty much haven't drafted Lakers almost any year uh, since I've had this podcast, except for last season, I went both Lakers, and AD was dominating. And frankly, if you got AD in the middle of the second round, the fact that he missed whatever it was, 25 games, didn't kill you as much because you didn't have to spend a first on him. Same general story with LeBron, although he wasn't nearly as good as Anthony Davis. He did hurt more in that respect. AD probably gets drafted, my guess would be, towards the end of the first round this year. And that's a 50-50 call. Take a shot, man. LeBron, I would think, goes mid to late second round now. And frankly, that's probably too early for me on him. I think D'Lo goes in the 60s or 70s, and I'm okay with it. I think Reeves probably goes in the 60s or 70s, and I probably don't go with it. 
And then I don't think I'm doing anything else with this team. But what I am doing is ending today's podcast because it's time to take a deep breath before tomorrow. We'll try to hit on a team in the morning. Uh, who's the next one on the board? Celtics. Ew, gross. Yeah, we'll t- <laughs> I kid. We'll talk Celtics tomorrow in the morning on the pod. If anything, if any news slips through on free agency, we'll talk about that as well. And then later on tomorrow, I'm hoping that if I have the proper amount uh, of coverage, child care coverage, as it were, that we can do some sort of live breaking thing in the afternoon tomorrow. In the meantime, go get yourself an NFL uh, draft guide here at Sports Ethos. You can also get them a la carte if you want. It's 15 bucks. You don't have to worry about the monthly thing. That's all at sportsethos.com. They also have a draft guide launch party coming up on YouTube. That's later on today. It's at 5.30 this evening Pacific time. They're going to be doing giveaways. You can win some draft guides. Uh, You'll get sleepers from the experts. I think there's going to be like a dozen of them rolling through and just sort of celebrating the launch of last year we had like a half NFL draft guide. This year we've got the full thing for the first time ever. Also wanted to do a shout out. I had a chance to get on the phone yesterday uh, with our fantasy NHL Today show host, Blake Creamer. He is awesome. And I would love to help build out a division underneath him. So if you happen to play fantasy hockey, hit us up. We'll be bugging you guys about that more as the season draws closer. But for now... I will bid you all adieu. I got to go pick up my little guy at preschool. See you guys later. Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you, with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.